Good morning and happy Mother's Day. I'm not Barry Camp. I don't own any Hawaiian shirts. When Barry called and asked if I wanted to come and preach, he asked if I'd ever been out here, and I said, yeah, just a, about a month ago. And so, yeah, I, I would love to, but I just want you to know, and you already know this because I was with you about a month ago, I, I am no Barry Camp. Barry is uh, much wiser, much older, and a much better speaker, and he's all over the place. And he's a godly man, and I've been friends with Barry for 35 years, and it's, uh, I've, I've realized after I looked at the date, he's asking me to preach on Mother's Day. <laughs> you know how hard it is to preach on Mother's Day? I, I mean, first of all, because all women are valuable. And in this day and age, I'm not going to touch that. <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, single women are, are valuable. Those with children, those without children. Some, some have tried for years to, to have children, and, 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 and they've not been able to become pregnant. Some unexpectedly discovered that they were great with child. Some of you have great moms. Some of you have really estranged moms. Some of you haven't even spoken to your mom in 20 or 30 years. Then you add to the hurt and the pain of, of death, <laughs> death of a young mom, death of an older mom, or death of a stillborn child, or a 10-year-old child, or death of an adult child, and, and, and then you toss in divorce, remarriage, stepchildren, step-grandchildren, and, and you can see really quick it gets messy, and that's why Barry went to Italy. <laughs> I'm well aware that on a day like this, there can be some unintentional triggers that, that, that trigger things, I, I know, within our lives, and, and so today... My hope is, and I want every person, men, women, children, I want you to walk out of our time of worship. I want you to work out and, uh, walk out of here encouraged, challenged, and hopeful from looking at God's word at two remarkable mothers of the New Testament, that God's word would speak to you right where you are, no matter what or where. Or how you experience Mother's Day. You know, <clears throat> there's one thing that all of us in the room, well, there's three things that all of us in the room have in common. <laughs> we all have mothers. We're all in need of a Savior. And we're all here. So as we take a look this morning at God's Word, Luke chapter 1, I hope that the Holy Spirit will fall fresh on you. And that you'll take a look at a passage that maybe you've looked at before. But I want us to look at two unexpected women soon expecting to change the world. My original title was two unexpected women soon expecting to deliver the mother load that will change the world. But I thought, you know, they don't know me well enough. And, and, and mother load, that sounds a little bit... Yeah, but if you think of the word load, it's not L-O-A-D. Mother load is not L-O-A-D. It's L-O-D-E. And, and it, it, if you think of a rock formation, a rock formation would have these veins in it, and the precious jewels of gold and silver 
would, would be in the load, those L-O-D-E, those veins, those channels of the precious jewels. That, and, and, and so mother load became popular in, in the gold rush in California. And so people would say, man, you hit the mother load. It meant that you hit a lot of stones that had a lot of veins of gold in it. I thought it was a pretty good title, but I knew I would have to explain all of that. And so we'll just go with two unexpected women soon expecting. And they changed the world. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And as we take a look at Mary and Elizabeth this morning, I, I think, let me first say, it's good to do character studies. I, I don't know if you do character studies, but I would really encourage you to go do this week a character study on Elizabeth and a character study on Mary. Uh, you know Elizabeth to be the mother of, of John the Baptist. And then Mary, of course, is the mother of, of Jesus. So before we turn to Luke chapter 1, I'm, I also want to, if you will allow me to, to be personal on this Mother's Day, I, I think because if, if you understand our circumstance, I might can help you understand this, and, and sometimes it just helps us to be a little more practical. So I want to tell you about my mother-in-law and about my wife, the mother of our three children. Carla is actually here today, Carla and our daughter, Brittany, our middle child. Uh, but my mother-in-law died in 2018. Uh, she's blessed to be with Jesus forever and ever. I had a great relationship with her. In fact, I was the favorite grandson, I mean the favorite uh, son-in-law. And you... Uh, we're the favorite granddaughter, right, Brittany? That's the way she made us feel. I didn't have much competition to be the favorite son-in-law. <laughs> I do have a competition. It just wasn't much competition. So, Johnny, if you're watching online, I, you know that I'm the favorite son-in-law. But Barbara, my, 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 my wife's mom, she'd be the first to tell you that she was not perfect. She didn't have a storybook life. In fact, she really kind of lived a common day Job experience full of challenges and tests and hardships. And, and, and yet with confidence and with hope, she navigated life well. She grew up in an abusive home. Her, her mother was, was mean and, and controlling. And well, the, the simplest way I could say it is it was just tough. That caused, among other things, her to, to struggle with some, some depression, and, and, and she started abusing prescription drugs. And the, the reality is that Carla's mom was in and out of, of rehab a couple of times for, for uh, prescription drugs. You, you may be thinking, oh, great, thanks for the encouragement. I, I, I kind of was expecting a good, uplifting mother-in-law story or a mother-in-law story. And, 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 and yet you're correct. You know, Mother's Day sometimes gets all of the hallmark feeling, and we don't really jump into what Mother's Day really is about. Mother's Day is really about perspective and appreciation. So this morning, I want you to see biblically and personally how God can do anything with a surrendered life and a willing heart, even when life is messy. As we study mainly two verses this morning about Mary and Elizabeth, I, I want us to leave here with understanding of three things. 
First, is it's, a, it's bigger than our story. Second, but we must live in our story. And then third, so that we trust that his story becomes our story. So back to Luke chapter 1. Let me give you a little bit of background. Dr. Luke had carefully researched and studied the accounts of Jesus. And as a physician, it was important to him that he got things right, especially the story of the Messiah. Maybe that's why God powerfully used him as the only Gentile to write any part of the New Testament. He then goes on to foretell the, 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 the birth of John the Baptist and let me even set the stage even more. God had been silent for 400 years. Not a word. I, I mean, that's almost twice as long as America has been a nation. Not a word. We, we can't fathom because we go a week or a month that we don't see God do something miraculous, show us a sign, and we get so discouraged. And we're talking 400 years. So when God breaks the silence of 400 years, he sends his angel Gabriel to call those who would be a part of this great plan. And who does God choose? an old priestly couple who had trouble getting pregnant, and then a young, obscure single girl whose family had prearranged her to marry this guy, Joseph. And man, he hits the mother load with these two unexpected women. All of this took place in, in Judea, when Herod was king, and the old priest's name was, was Zechariah. And he was married to Elizabeth. As I said earlier, they, they struggled with infertility, probably for about 25 to 30 years. So they went through many, many, many Mother's Days crying out to the Lord to provide a, a child. And well into their old age. Now... Zechariah's credentials would, would seem to position him to, to be a person used powerfully of God. He was a priest. He was a lawkeeper. Really, he was a seasoned Abraham. But I feel confident when I look into a, a, a character study on Elizabeth, I would assume that she felt worthless, unvaluable. Not really needed in the kingdom. That's probably how she felt. Look what God's word says about her. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Both of them, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were righteous. They were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands. And they were blameless. She was blameless, not worthless. And one day, Zechariah was performing his priestly duties of worshiping in the temple, and he would go in and burn incense while the assembled of worshipers outside the temple. And look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, When an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. 
But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. The angel Gabriel told him, He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice. In fact, he'll be used to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the disobedient will turn their lives around, and his highest calling will be to prepare the way for the Lord. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. Am I, well, my wife, he didn't want to call her old. <laughs> Look what he says. He says, I'm an old man, but my wife, she's well along in years. Politically correct, even before it's politically correct. I'm an old man, but Carla, now she's just, well, well, she's almost 60. I'm in my mid-50s. Then the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Underline that in your Bible. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent by God to speak to you and to tell you the good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the days the day that this happens, because you didn't believe me. You didn't believe my word, which will come true at the appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, and when, when he came out, he couldn't speak. And when he couldn't speak, they knew that he had been given a vision. Elizabeth then becomes pregnant, and goes from worthless to understanding that she's blameless. And look what the Lord said. The, the, the Lord has shown his favor. Six months into her pregnancy, that same angel, Gabriel, was sent by God to speak to Mary. Now, Mary was a young, med, young wed single woman who was engaged to be married. And that angel, Gabriel, appears and says, Greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. She was obviously shaken by this greeting. He then goes on to tell her, you're about to conceive a son. Not just any son, but Jesus, the son of the most high God. Then she questions Gabriel, but how can this be? I'm, I'm a virgin. I'm not even yet married to Joseph. Look at verse 35. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Again, underline that. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Verse 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she has said to be able, uh, un unable to conceive, she's now in her sixth month of her pregnancy. And what God says will always come true. And because she believed it, she could say with confidence, verse 37. And these two verses are where I want to kind of camp out on, verse 37 and verse 38. Look at verse 37. <clears throat> and because she believed all that the angel had said to her, she could say with confidence, for no word from God will ever fail. 
highlight, underline, box that in, whatever you do to make that jump out, no word from God will ever fail. Then verse 38, Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. May your word be fulfilled. Mary believed God. She would need to remember that these throughout her life that these promises that God was not going to leave her. He was not going to forsake her. And when everything about the journey would cause her to doubt, she would come back to believe, may it be to me as you have said. My first point, and I think the things, three things that we can learn from Mary and Elizabeth. The first one is it's bigger than our story. It's bigger than our story. Verse 37 says, no word from God will ever fail. You know, it'd be really easy to think that these two miraculous pregnancies were for Elizabeth and for Mary's sake. Of course, we all know the account of John the Baptist foretelling of Jesus, so, so we now know the bigger story, but Elizabeth didn't know the bigger story. She didn't know that the Messiah was coming to seek and save the lost, and her son was going to be the one that would prepare the way of the Lord to tell people, hey, this is Jesus, the Messiah, that we've been waiting for. But for Mary and Elizabeth, at that time, becoming a, a mother was about their welfare, or so they thought. Elizabeth an older woman struggling, struggling with infertility for 25 to 30 years. Can you imagine? Those of you, and my heart just goes out, I would love to wrap my arms around some of you that, that, that struggle with infertility. We've, we've had that in our family, and, and it's tough. It's tough to go a year, two years, five years, 25 to 35 years, and now they're pregnant. And they thought at that moment maybe it was about their welfare. It's not. It's about a bigger story. How about Mary, an unwed teenager, maybe 14 or 15, maybe? Could even be younger than that. We're not really sure. Yet the Bible says no word from God will ever fail. And they had heard a word from God from the angel Gabriel. You know, it's really easy to think that Mother's Day is just about moms. It's easy to think that my busy week is just about all the things I've got to get done. It's really easy to think that what you've got going on this afternoon and tomorrow and the next day is really about you, and it's not. It's about a much bigger story. And we learn from Elizabeth and her husband, Zacharias, that they did all the right things. They were righteous and they were blameless. But even though they were righteous and blameless, they, 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 they didn't find favor by God from having children. And year after year, they struggled with that. They, they, they had the, but, but God, those but God moments snuck in and crept in into their lives. How, how can this be? I'm an old man, and my wife is well into her years. 
it can't be. It, it doesn't make sense that we're now pregnant. We learn the same thing from Mary. She's saying, this doesn't make sense. I'm a, I'm a virgin. I've done everything right. I'm going through the proper order of getting married, and I'm not even married. How can I be pregnant? Yet God's angel shows up with a specific word and a reminder, I stand in the presence of God. Have confidence. Be bold. The Holy Spirit is falling on us to say, we stand in the presence of God. It's a good reminder for all of us that God is going to get his work done. You know, in spite of my mother-in-law's horrific childhood, it, it, it would be easy for her to say, but God, but God, why did you, my, but you don't understand, I, my life's a mess, all is lost. Yet the Holy Spirit sent a word from God through an unexpected messenger. When she was 15 years old, everything changed. A group of recent Baylor University students came to lead a youth revival movement in Beaumont, Texas, where Barbara, my mother-in-law, was attending high school. It was in the late 40s. It was after World War II. World War II had ended, and a group of three or four Baylor students had started gathering in Brooks Hall, led by, interestingly, a guy named Reggie Hashisaki. I got to know Reggie at Columbus Avenue Baptist Church, and Reggie Hashisaki was a Japanese-American who began to pray. And he gathered a couple of other people to pray. And he wanted to pray for revival. Now, trust me, in 1945, a Japanese student, a Japanese-American student, <laughs> might be the most unexpected to try to bring hope to the world. But you know what happened? Some of you have heard about it. The revival movement of the 40s broke out. Some would say that the Youth for Christ movement, of which Billy Graham came out of, could be tied back to that powerful movement. God was doing something across our country, and a lot of it started in that Brooks Hall dorm with Reggie and four or five other people praying. Thousands started coming to Christ through these tent revivals, called the Youth Revival Movement of the 40s. You fast forward to 1948 in Beaumont, a re recent graduate, Howard E. Butts Jr., the son of the founder of the large Texas-based HEB grocery chain, was leading a revival that day in Beaumont. And someone told Howard E. Butts Jr., hey, you need to go next door and talk to Barbara Jean Whitlock. She really needs a friend. He goes, knocks on the door, and says, I understand you need a friend. She almost immediately starts crying. He visits her home. They sit down. He walks them through and said, I've found that most of my friends on this earth will let me down, but I've found a friend who will never leave me, who will never forsake me, who is going to be with me, and that friend is Jesus. And Howard E. Butts then proceeded to lead her 
to Christ, leader's salvation, in a simple plan of salvation, Barbara put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the one true God. She'd been born again at 15 years old. When she was telling us the story, I asked, what, what Bible verse did he use? And she looked at me kind of like, duh, John 3.16. Simple passage of, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave his one and only son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And after she prayed that simple prayer and asked Jesus to be at the center of her life, Howard E. Butts was about to leave and about to get in the car, and he turned around and said, Will you share your testimony tonight? And she said, Sure. He took another step, and she goes, But what's a testimony? She goes in front of a thousand people as a 15-year-old, and stood and talked about how Jesus had changed her life. Now this is a shy, quiet, reserved young woman. Almost 70 years later, as I sat with her the day before she died, and while she was frail in those latter years, all she wanted to talk about was her coming to faith in Christ with Jesus. She was eager, eager to enter a place where she would never struggle with loneliness, not have to face financial troubles, never have to deal with the, the, the physical or the emotional pain or the guilt or the shame or the depression. She, she knew that she had a friend who had prepared a place for her. She also knew at the end of that life that almost 68 years, she discovered at 15 that she was living for a much bigger story. A story that was about his story. You see, it's a bigger story than our story. And now she's saved at 15 with the hope of knowing the end of the book. But as I sat with her at the end of the story, 68 years later, she had heard God speak to her but she had also realized that she had to live in the now from 15 until 83. Second point that we can learn from this, and I think from my mother-in-law, is that we, we must live in our story. Carla's mom, for those 68 years as a Christ follower, were, were filled with joy and sorrow, blessings of five beautiful kids, nine healthy grandkids, but she also experienced the death of, of two children. She had health problems. And she, as I said earlier, she was in and out of a couple of drug rehabs. The ups and downs of life, she had to live. Jesus told his followers in John chapter 16, in this world you will have trouble. Life comes at us. Comes at us hard, fast, and continuously. And, and, and Christ, as Christ followers, we don't get a hall pass at 15 or at 12 when we receive Christ that we're going to have the cush life. No. We live our life and we live our story in obedience. You see, Mary got it. Look back at verse 38. 
At a young age, she said in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. Well, what does servant mean? In the New Testament, we, we know that a servant performs work or task for someone's home. A servant differs from a slave. You see, the servant relationship with a master is voluntary. The slave is not. And Jesus reminds us in John 15, 20, a servant is not greater than his master. Both Mary and Elizabeth recognize that they must perform the task that was at hand in their homeland, the land of Israel, the promised land that God had given them a task to live the story, not just for nine months, but for 33 plus years. And Jesus says in John 16, in this world, and I think Mary and Elizabeth got this, in this world you will have trouble. But what? Take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Following the voice of God, when we hear the voice of God, it doesn't mean we get to live life on autopilot. We have a responsibility to live in holy wonder to find holiness, to experience true obedience. So the third point is, so we trust his story becomes our story. Let me read to you what Matthew Henry writes in his commentary about Luke. Chapter 1, verse 30. Look at Luke. Look at this. I think it's on your screen. Matthew Henry says, Fear not, Mary. For I have no other design than to assure you that you have found favor with God more than you think, as there are many who think they are more favored with God than they really are. Mary had found favor with God. Elizabeth had found favor with God more than they ever thought or knew. Mary and Elizabeth trusted that God was, was weaving his story into their stories. They didn't have all the answers, not knowing how things were going to turn up. No, they trusted what the messenger Gabriel had said. They risked being marked by ridicule and scandal and rejection, but allowed their story to tell a bigger story. As they would ultimately watch their sons brutally tortured and, and, and murdered, but only one of them would rise again. And it was the bigger story that the other one, John the Baptist, would foretell and prepare the way for. And he would be used to turn the hearts of parents to their children. For the disobedient to find repentance. Why? Because Jesus is alive and he's coming back. What a privilege for our lives to tell the story of Jesus, to give a correct opinion of, of him. You, you know, because my, my wife's mom said yes 
to Jesus and joined God's story, the next generation The next generation, all of her grown kids, all five of her grown kids know Jesus, and they love Jesus. My daughter Brittany is here. Barbara's granddaughter is sitting here next to her mom who has passed the faith on to her. And when tough times and difficult times, our sweet, loyal Brittany, you know what she does? She obediently turns to Jesus and loves his church. There are times in Brittany's life where she needs a friend, just like her grandmother needed a friend. And fortunately, she knows that God has come and said, I will never leave you, nor I will forsake you. That gives her the courage to then take the next step. Carla, my wife, faithfully walks with Jesus. There's several of you in here that know Carla. She, she, I, I'm sorry, but the rest of you moms, you, you just you come in second. She is the mother of the year, the mother of the decade, the mother of the century. There's not even a close second. She faithfully walks with Jesus, and if you knew her path and her story, it's a miraculous understanding of who God is. Interestingly, Barbara's grandson, Carla and my son, Bo, along with Howard E. Butt's granddaughter, helped start a ministry at Baylor. It's called Vertical. They meet on Monday nights, and thousands of college students gather to, to, to worship. And it's touched thousands and thousands of lives, from one generation to another. The name of the Lord will be exalted. And I love what Dr. Jim Dennison says. Jim Dennison says, I think I've got it on the screen. Dr. Jim Dennison says, that we can never know the future significance of present obedience. We can never know the future significance of our present obedience. God can do anything with a surrendered life and a willing heart. You see, it's bigger than our story. But we must live in our story, so we trust that his story becomes our story. Thank you, moms, for leaving a legacy. Let's pray together.